You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. 2 Timothy 3.14. This, this is going to be about Scripture. Because all, all this month we've been talking about how to read, understand, and apply the Bible. And so, so this passage is a, is a Scripture about Scripture. Pretty cool, in my opinion. 2 Timothy 3.14. It says this. But as for you, it's a Paul's letter to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which, this is the important part, the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you see that there? That Scriptures are able to make you wise. Do you want to be wise? Read the scriptures. It'll make you wise for salvation through faith in, faith in Jesus Christ. And then verse 16, a pretty popular scripture reference. It says, all scripture is God-breathed. Think about that for a minute. All scripture, it's the Bible, is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the, the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Let's think about that. God, we do right now, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for scripture. God, we love you and we praise you. And we we take this book with all seriousness that it will make us wise. It will make us wise in faith through Jesus Christ. And God, that's a spiritual thing. And we may not understand it sometimes on how that works. But God, we trust you and we obey you that this Bible is a good book. This Bible is a book that will make us wise. And so we, we receive that. We thank you for it. And everybody screamed. I want to tell you about the first Bible study I ever led in my whole life, which was when I was a, a junior in high school. Imagine me, little high schooler, no beard yet. Couldn't grow one back then. No big deal, though. Uh, my, I had a youth pastor, a really cool youth pastor, that, that picked four dudes uh, in their junior year and met with them every week. So it was me and three other dudes uh, in our junior year of high school, little high schoolers. And this, the whole year he met with us once a week. And he would tell us things like, next year you're going to be seniors. Next year you're going to be leaders. I've chosen you guys because you're leaders and you're, you're great Christians and you're going to be leaders of your school. You're going to be the seniors and you're going to be the Christian leaders of your school. And it, it was honestly a little overwhelming. I was like, wow, I, I know why he picked these other three guys because they were popular. They had been Christians for their whole life. They knew the Bible. They knew theology. And then there was me. I was, I was really shy in high school and I'd only been a Christian one year, but my youth pastor saw something in me and he believed in me despite me not really believing in myself at that point. Looking back, I just think how great that period of time was when my youth pastor picked me as, you know, one of the future leaders. I just think that was, it was really good. But one time he, to this youth group, to this uh, little Bible study, just us four guys and the youth pastor, that's five of us, we'd sit down, we'd, we'd talk about the Bible, we'd have, talk about accountability stuff, we'd just talk about whatever. One time he brought in a big stack of books, put them on the desk. And he said, next, next, for the next four weeks, each one of you are going to take turns in leading this group in a Bible study. And I was just like, uh, never really led a Bible study before. Uh, I was kind of new to Christianity, new, just been a Christian a year, didn't really understand what a, how to lead a Bible study. But he brought in all these tools, which are the things that I talked about last week. If you were here, I talked about commentaries and concordances and uh, Bible uh, study Bibles. And he had a Bible dictionary, Bible encyclopedia, all this 
books, all this stuff, these thick books. And he said, you're going to take these and you're going to lead us on a Bible study next week. <laughs> and, he, and he said, the first one of you to go is going to be you, Joe. You're going to lead the Bible study next week. And I was just like, uh, what do I lead it on? He's like, whatever you want. And I was like, like what? And he's like, whatever you want. And I was like, like what? And he's like, whatever you want. <laughs> I was like, well, it's, it's so, you know, when a teacher tells you to write a paper on whatever you want, it's always the, the hardest part is figuring out what you're going to write it on. But uh, so he, he said, well, if you have a question, think of a question you want answered and then research that question and then tell us what you found. And, and so I had a question. I kind of liked this girl in high school and uh, she was a kind of a Christian, kind of not really uh, liked, liked Jesus, but didn't like church. And the reason she didn't like church was because she was a girl and she was kind of feministic and she heard and people told her and she found scripture that said that women in church are no good, or that women have to be silent in the church. And she found the scripture, which there is actually a scripture, scripture, 1 Timothy 2.12, that says all women must be silent in the church. You could turn there and look at that someday if you want. It's 1 Timothy 2.12. It's one of my favorite scriptures. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. There's like girls just walking out. Just kidding. <clears throat> But that scripture, it really threw her off. And she showed me that scripture, and I kind of liked this girl. So I, was, I didn't know what to say to her. I was like, yeah, that's in the Bible. Women must be silent in the church. And yet when we go to church or youth group, women don't have to be quiet once they get in the door. And she was like, what's that all about? I don't understand it. Why, why, are, they, why are they down on women? What's, what's the deal? And so my question was, why, why is this in there? And what's the deal with women in church? And do they have to be quiet? And uh, and so I started researching this question, and it was the first time in my life that I had a question, and I went to the Bible to research the question. And then, and then of course, it was the first time I taught anything on the Bible. And it's just, you, you see the irony in teaching an all-guys, five-guys Bible study on women being silent in the church? <laughs> it's just ironical, but anyways. So I researched it, and I really don't want to get into the whole women and, and being silent in the church today. That's not the, not the purpose of today. The purpose is more finding truth in the Bible. But very quickly, what I found was there, there's, the Bible's not written to us. It's written for us. And the time that this Bible was written, uh, that, that, that passage in 1 Timothy was written, it was right around uh, maybe 30, 40, maybe 60 AD, a very ancient culture, an ancient Jewish culture living in the Greco-Roman world in which women did not have a high school diploma. They did not have a middle school diploma. This might surprise you and maybe maybe frustrate you that women didn't have a first, second, or even kindergarten diploma. Women were not educated at all. And so, so the context of this scripture is, is to an ancient world where oftentimes, if you, if you look at other passages like this, there's one that says that women must be silent in the church and ask their husbands questions later. If you research that, usually what happened is the women would all sit on this side and the men would all sit on the other side. And so I guess they were running into some problems as the preacher was preaching that the women would raise their hand and start asking them their husbands questions. And, excuse me, I have a question. I don't know, what blah, 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 which... There's a problem, I guess, for some people. I don't know. I mean, you could do that in here if you want. That's fine. <laughs> but um, so, so it's an ancient context. So what's the context? Okay, it's the context of women were not educated at all, not even a first-grade education. But men were educated. Jewish men were educated in the ways of the Old Testament. So Paul is probably telling Timothy and the churches there that, okay, when, when you meet for church, let's keep things orderly. Let's keep things congruent. Let's... Let's have someone that isn't educated at all not speak or teach in the church. And that just made sense back then. And it may be offensive that because that, that's not 
today's culture at all, right? How many of you women have a high school diploma? How many of you are carrying on and going to college? We live in a very, very different culture than, than the ancient world. And so I just, I tell that story to say that I fell in love with researching and studying the Bible. And I just went through, I just had a question. I went to the Bible, had the tools right there. And I, then I taught this little Bible study. And uh, it was just, it was the first time that I had researched something in the Bible. And I, I felt as though I was mining and finding gold, that my questions were being answered. And I answered that question. And then I got to go to that girl that I liked that had the problem with the church. And I told her what I found. I said, you know, there's an ancient culture that, 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 that might not be applicable today because women today are very educated. And then I talked about, well, there's biblical antecedent and precedent for people in the Bible like Phoebe in the New Testament called a deacon. There's uh, Mary who's instructed after Jesus' resurrection to go tell the disciples what she found. There's the woman at the well who Jesus says, go to your city. And lots of Samaritans, it says, came to know the Lord because of this woman's testimony that Jesus met at the well. And then there's Esther and Miriam and various women that weren't quiet in the church or by any means. And so that's why I got to tell this girl that I liked in high school. And she was, of course, very impressed. And so the moral of the story is if you want to impress girls, study the Bible. <laughs> Am I right, ladies? <laughs> Whew. Yeah. All right. Well, we are going to get into today. We're going to study. Uh, we're going to talk more about how to read, understand and apply the Bible, because this book is a big old book and it is ridiculously huge and sometimes ridiculously hard to understand. And so we're going to talk about that more today. But first, some announcements. Are you OK with announcements? <laughs> I hear no. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, we got to do it. Uh, some announcements. Next week, we are meeting. Everyone say yes. So there, there will be no mill because that will be the, the Friday after Thanksgiving. The day, and so you'll be shopping or something or whatever you do the day after Thanksgiving. Or spending, honestly, spending time with your family. So we've canceled the mill. But Sunday, we will be here at the Mill Sunday School. So come next week. Noelle Goodland is going to be here. And she's, she's got a great message. She's our women's pastor, by the way. And she's not going to be silent the whole time. Um, <laughs> just imagine. Like, mm, that was good. That was a good word. She applied that scripture. <laughs> Please do not walk out. I, I, there's bigger things here to talk about than that. Um, so Noelle will, will be teaching about how, how sh- and sharing about how she reads and understands the Bible, and she, she does a great job with that. So Noelle will be here next week. And then in December, December is an elective month for us. And so we've chosen the topic of contemporary issues in Christianity. And so for the first two Sundays of the month, uh, a guy named Rob Stinnett is going to be here. Have you heard of him? Do you know him? Woo-hoo. He is a pastor here on staff. He's the creative pastor of New Life. He does the Thorn and Wonderland and creative stuff and video stuff. He's very creative, a very funny guy. And he actually wrote a book. So he's going to be here talking. And he wrote a book. It came out last year. Maybe you've seen it. They sell it at the New Life Church bookstore. It's called The Almost True Story of Ryan Fisher, a novel. And someone just told me that it was either nominated or it did win the Christian novel of the year. So a pretty big deal. And lots of you don't even know about this book. It's like, hello, he's a pastor at our church, wrote the number one Christian novel of the year. Hello, where have you been? Uh, um, but yeah, he did write that. And, uh, so he's going to be talking not just about his book. It's not going to be a book club, but he talks about this character in here named Ryan Fisher, uh, is not a Christian, but goes to church 
finds out that he can kind of make money in his real estate business if he goes to a church and meets people. So he meets and greets people and works his way to be a pastor and then becomes famous and rich because he's a megachurch pastor. And yet he's never really a Christian inside. He's just doing it for the show. And uh, the book's kind of about that. So uh, so Rob's going to talk about the idea of can we be a, look like a Christian but not really be a Christian. And it's it's... It's a good thing to think about and talk about. So, uh, so if you have nothing to do over Thanksgiving break, read this book, and we're actually going to sell them at, right after Sunday school. We have a bunch of them back there. If you buy it in a Christian bookstore, it's like 15 bucks. If you buy it in a New Life bookstore, I think it's 13 But if you buy it here at Sunday, Sunday, Sunday school, the price is only $10. And uh, I think uh, Rob doesn't make it. We're not making any money off that. The publishers are making tons of money off that. So... Uh, <laughs> Anyways, not tons of money. It's not. A, anyways, buy Rob Sennett's book. Read it over Thanksgiving, and we will discuss it when Rob is here in two weeks. So, uh, yeah, those are all your announcements. You got it? All right, let's, let's get on to something very important today. We are talking about the Bible, how to read, understand, and apply the Bible. I thought we'd begin with a review. And so in your, in your notes here, this is a, a note. You can open it up. It has a, has a place for taking notes under review. And uh, if you haven't been here... Uh, we've been talking about how to read, understand, and apply the Bible. And before this month, a couple months ago, we, 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 the whole month we spent talking about why is this book the Word of God? Um, we kind of just say, oh, if it's in the Bible, it's true. And, but what makes this book true? What if we were explaining to someone that didn't believe in the Bible? What would we say to them if, we, you know, if they're like, well, how do you know it's true? And this, we spent a whole month talking about things like, oh, archaeology. No archaeological evidence has ever disproven any of the findings in the Bible. We talked about things like the authors of the Bible. That uh, in comparison, the Book of Mormon is written by one guy, Joseph Smith. And so the whole Book of Mormon falls upon this one man in history, Joseph Smith. And a lot depends upon his character and what if he was wrong? What if he was misinterpreting a vision or something? Or the same thing goes with the Quran. One man, Muhammad, wrote the whole Quran. And so what if he was uh, not correct? Or what if he was just making up lies? Or what if he was internally a bad person? It all depends on those, that one individual. But the Bible is, is more than 40 authors. Lots of authors wrote the Bible over various times, over 2,000 years, over uh, various languages. There's, there's fishermen that wrote the Bible. There's kings that wrote the Bible, various forms of life and walks of life. And yet they all say one thing. It's as if God himself was planting a message in these authors to make it all consistent and all line up, page one through page end, so that it's God's redemptive story for humanity and how, who God is and how he works. And I think that's, that's an amazing thing, don't you? I think so too. So we talked about that, that the Bible is the word of God. We brought that to this month and said, okay, the Bible is the word of God. We know it to be true, but how do we get the truth out of it? And, and obviously you have to start with reading it. And what I don't want you to hear, and I've been telling you is, is to, I, I don't want to say, read the Bible, you have to. If you don't read it, you're a bad person. You're a bad Christian if you don't read the Bible. And then, therefore, you'd read the Bible out of some sort of, oh, I have to do it. It's something I have to do. Oh, it's a chore. I have to. I don't want you to think about reading the Bible like that. And so, therefore, we've been talking about how do you get to be hungry to read the Bible? And I gave you five points. I'm going to give them to you one more time because as, as a purpose for review. And I think it's really important to, to build a hunger to read the Bible. You know, if you're hungry, no one has to tell you to eat, right? It's not a chore to eat. You're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so hungry. Give me those crab wontons. I'm about to pass out. I need them. 
I'm going to eat them up. No, you just eat them. You're hungry for it. You go and eat it. And so in the same way, we could be spiritually hungry to read the Bible. And if we're spiritually hungry, no one has to tell us to read the Bible. We just do it, and we love it. And so number one was don't eat junk food. Do you remember that one? If, you're, if, you, have, if you weren't here, I'm going to give you five points. You could write them down if you want. Number one is don't eat junk food. And we're talking all spiritually right now, of course. So spiritual junk food might be things that... Our sin. It might be things that waste your time. It, you know what it is in your life that takes you away, that in, in some way fills you up a little bit so that you're not as hungry to read the Bible. Number one, don't eat junk food. Number two, eat healthy meals every day. Get used to eating the Bible. Not literally, of course. Get sick. <clears throat> but figuratively, spiritually, reading the Bible and, and getting used to, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to read for a half hour. I'm going to read for 15 minutes. I'm going to read for an hour, two hours. Get used to feasting on the Bible. And then the next day you'll be really hungry. It's like, you guys know this about your own body, but if you eat like a big old meal, like your Thanksgiving meal, you eat a big meal, like you eat enough food for like three days and one meal. Um, you go, you go take a nap and then you wake up and you're like, Oh, are you still so full? No, you wake up from your nap and you're like, Oh, I'm so hungry again. Cause your stomach expands. It gets used to all that food in there and you're like oh i'll give you some more pie and dessert and some more turkey sandwiches right just think about it it's the way it is your your stomach expands so in the same way spiritually expand your stomach expand your mind on reading the bible and getting used to having big old meals of the bible number three so one don't eat junk food two eat healthy meals every day number three eat for two or aka don't eat alone Read the Bible with someone else. If you're reading the Bible and your friend's reading the Bible, meet up at Starbucks and talk about how your reading is going and saying, yeah, I don't understand this, but I don't understand this, but, but look at this. Oh, that's cool. That, that comes alive. Let's talk about it. And it'll come alive together. So uh, number three is eat for two. Don't eat alone. Uh, number four, don't ignore the hunger pains. Do you remember this one? Do you remember it? Yes. I was trying to get a little reaction. That's all. Uh, number four, if you've been here, we've been talking about this all month. So number four is don't ignore the hunger pains. And if God puts it on your heart, if you're like, wow, I really believe that God is trying to get, get my attention. And I, I really feel like, man, I should read the Bible right now. Don't ignore that. Go read the Bible. Get, get fed by the Bible, spiritually fed. And number five, get addicted to finding gold. Get it. Get addicted to having questions in your, in your head, in your mind, in your heart, and going into the Bible to have them answered, whether they're about women being silent in the church or whether the question is about how does salvation work. Go to the Bible. Try to figure it out. Try to figure out where it is in the Bible that can answer that question and read it. Ask some other people. So those are your five points on how to become hungry. Make sense? If you're here, it's, it's, it's review. That's why you're all quiet, right? Because you're like, I've heard it every single time you've talked. <laughs> the first time I ever read through the entire Bible was when uh, I was, I, I just graduated high school. I was in college and uh, my friend who led me to Christ lived in Florida. I at the time lived in uh, Utah and I hopped on a Greyhound bus, which is just a sweet, you should, everybody should ride the Greyhound bus sometime in their life. There's a lot of great people there. <laughs> I rode, I rode the Greyhound bus for literally three 24-hour days nonstop uh, between Salt Lake City and uh, Florida uh, just to spend the entire summer with my friend. And I lived uh, at this house full of guys, and we'd go to church, and he was a big leader in this church. And so we'd go to all the Bible studies, and I had nothing to do that whole summer while I was there. No job, no school. So I just sat around doing nothing except 
reading the Bible. I challenged myself that I said, this summer I want to read the entire Bible. And so I started in Genesis, and I just started plugging away, and I had nothing else to do. So I literally kind of punished myself. I, I read, would read like four to six, seven hours a day. It was like all I did. I just kind of read the Bible. And even more so than just reading the Bible, I punished myself with this. Uh, this have you ever heard of Leonardo da Vinci? And how on big projects that he'd be, he'd sleep like a cat. And so every four hours he would sleep 15 minutes. Have you heard about that? This is kind of a random fact. I heard that random fact and I was like, that sounds awesome. I want to try that. And so every four hours I slept 15 minutes, which if you do the math, there's six four-hour segments in a 24-hour day, 15 minutes each. That means you get an hour and a half of sleep a day. <laughs> Perfect. And so... I, and I, I don't know. I was, I was young. I was dumb. I didn't have my beard back then. I, didn't, I wasn't married back then. No one was telling me how to, you can't do that. That's stupid. Um, but I did that for like three weeks. I, I lived on an hour and a half of sleep a day. And I was just like, <laughs> reading the Bible. And it was pretty messed up. But, but I read it. I read it. I read the whole Bible that summer. And what's freaky, like kind of freaky is that I calculated, okay, how many days did that take me? How long did that take me to read? How long? Cause I finished it right the last day I was in Florida, then got back on the bus and, uh, had the three day journey back to Utah, but I counted out the days and it was 40 days. And I was like, that's pretty cool. Then I counted out the nights and it was 40 nights, 40 days and 40 nights. It was just kind of freaky. I mean, I mean, unless you're like a believing person, you think that God has his hand on your life. You'd be like, that's weird. But I was like, that was God. That was cool. And so, so I read the entire Bible in 40 days and 40 nights once. And it was very, it was just kind of a way of, I mean, I had nothing else to do in some ways. I added to the challenge by the sleeping deprivation and things like that. So, um, it's a, it's a big book. If, 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 if you ever read the entire Bible, what you'll get out of it is, is this idea that all the stories are interconnected. And I hadn't, I, before that, I had been a Christian for a little while, and so I knew the story of Noah and the boat. I knew the story of uh, David and Goliath. I knew the story of uh, Adam and the, and, the, and, the, and the tree. I knew the story of, you know, all these stories that we kind of, oh yeah, we kind of know those stories. But when I read the entire Bible, all those stories began to make a whole lot of sense. They, they fell in a timeline in my mind. And I knew that, okay, Adam comes before Abraham, and Abraham comes, obviously, before David. And before I read the entire Bible, I just, what I got out of it, of reading the entire Bible, was just how interconnected the whole Bible is. And so, um, what we're going to do is, is, hopefully, on your table is something like this. I'm going to talk about this for just a minute. This is the Mill Reading Plan. And it's something that I've gotten really excited about um, this month to hand you. And we, we took a little while to print, more, than, more time to, to print than we thought. But we're getting them into your hands right now. And it's really not, if you, if, you, if you think, okay, it's a reading plan. Like, oh, day one I have to read this, day two I have to read this. <clears throat> it's not like that. What it really is, it gives you the freedom to read the Bible however you want. And, and what it, all it is. I mean, it's actually very, very simple. If you look at it, all it is is every chapter of the Bible has a little checkbox next to it. And so you read a chapter, you check off the box. And if you're hungry to read the Bible and, and you begin reading it, you'll begin to have such joy in, in checking off these chapters. And I really hope that something spiritual happens in you. With it. All it is is a piece of paper. But uh, here's my hope for it is that is that we'll begin to carry these things around. We'll begin to keep these things around with us and in our Bibles. And then as the mill, and, and beginning with us as Sunday school, 
we'll begin to be people that read the Bible. Don't you want to be known for that? People that read the Bible. And, and I, th- I think it's, it's going to be a great tool for us. And, and so you could, you could show it off and be like, check out this, how much I've read. And, and uh, <laughs> that's, that's what I'll do. You, of course, are much more mature than that, so you won't be doing that. But I'll, I'll just be like, check out this. And you throw it down. I was like, oh, look, oh, look at all those check marks there. Look how much I've read. <laughs> um, it's, it's kind of for that, but not really for that. It's, it's a way of keeping us accountable with each other of how much we've read. It's a way of keeping us accountable with ourselves. And, and I just think it's, it'll, it's a great way of keeping track, knowing what you've read, and beginning to check off and saying, yes, this book is huge. It is ridiculously huge. It, yes, it does take about, you know, reading through it at, at a common reading level, it takes about 70 hours to read. Did you know that? That is a long, that is a lot of reading. Um, it's a lot of pages. But it'll keep us on track and it'll keep us toward a goal of having check marks on every single chapter of every single book of the Bible. And uh, the reason why we set it out like that is so that you don't have to start in the book of Genesis. That's a good place to start if you wanted to start. You could surely start there. But I've been saying, uh, and lots of people say that, you know what, one of the best places to start reading the Bible, if you've never read the Bible before and you're picking it up, is the Gospel of John. Yeah, it's, and, and there's lots of reasons why that's a really good book. One is that it's all about salvation. It's all about Jesus. It's very simple to read. It's easy to read. And so it's, it's just a really good place to start. So if you're, if you're thinking about starting to read the Bible, pick up one of those things and just start going through John and making check marks after you read different chapters. And, and you might have to read it very slowly. You might be totally confused by it. And just the book of John might take you a month or more to get through. But you know what? That's okay. Because we, it's just the idea of reading the Bible and getting into it and being hungry and being fed by reading the Bible. Because honestly, uh, we were going to do a one-year Bible plan, but but th- it's okay if it takes you two years to read through the entire Bible. It's okay if it takes you a decade to read through it. But just read it and begin to check off those things and keep that thing with your Bible. That's what I'm going to do is the hope and the plan. And then eventually Aaron Stern's actually going to talk to the whole—we we printed off enough of these for the whole mill. Aaron's going to talk about uh, read the, by reading the Bible with the whole mill and, and, and giving these Bible plans to the whole mill. But I think as the Mill Sunday School, as we've been talking about the Bible, I think that we as the Sunday schoolers can show— the mill how that we're doing this that it could start with us that we're excited to read the bible because we're sunday schoolers right yes that's a good thing that's a really good thing so here's here's just some facts before we talk about something else and get into it the bible takes about 70 hours to read uh it takes 52 hours for the old testament 18 hours to read through the new testament and uh if you want to read the entire bible in a year which which this plan doesn't say you have to and it may take you longer than a year and that is totally fine um that if you read it for one hour and 20 minutes a week you will read the whole bible in one year and one hour and 20 minutes is only 11.5 minutes a day for us a seven-day week, and you will finish the entire Bible in one year. 11.5 minutes. That's not too bad, right? No big deal. Just a quick little devo. Um, and here's, here's some comparisons that I found. If we, work, uh, if we work 40 hours a week, which is crazy. I work like two hours a week. <laughs> Just don't tell Aaron Stern that. He'll give me more to do. <laughs> Uh, if we work 40 hours a week, uh, we work about 2,000 hours a year. We sleep about 3,000 hours a year. We eat 
550 hours a year, and we watch TV. Are you ready for this one? <clears throat> so the Bible only takes 70 hours to read, but we watch TV for 1,500 hours a year. And so I would just encourage you to read. Read the Bible. Get into it. It's a big book, but begin to make those check marks. Begin to check them off. Carry that thing with your Bible. Throw it. I'm going to throw mine in the front of my Bible and just keep, keep it with my Bible and begin to check things off as I read them. And you could cheat. Did you know that you can listen to the Bible on tape or CD or MP3? Now you do. It's, it's like, it's, it's almost, it almost feels like cheating because you're listening to it and you're either listening to it, reading along, or you're just listening to it and you're getting stuff out of it. I listen to books on tape in my car. I listen to MP3s. And so, uh, that's, that's another good way to do it. Just as, as a piece of advice, that's what I do to, uh, sometimes read large chunks of the Bible. But, um, so that's your Bible reading checklist. Do you all have one? If you don't have one, we have tons of them in the back. We have, like, enough for everybody and their mother and lots of other mothers. <clears throat> Here's, turn to the back of your skillet for just a quick second. There's a sweet quote of the day. We always have sweet quotes of the day. And there's a quote by A.W. Tozer, uh, which is, he's, he's a great Christian guy, wrote, wrote lots of spiritual books, very deep, very theological books. And it says this, that the word of God, well understood and religiously obeyed, is the shortest route to spiritual perfection, uh, becoming a Christian and knowing who God is. And, and then it says this, and we must not select a few favorite passages to exclude the others. Nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. And I think that's just, I mean, it's, it's just a way of saying, you know what, we do need the whole Bible. That this whole book has been given to us by God that we might understand Him and know His truth and that it will make us wise. And so, so read it. It's good. Aaron Stern has this analogy of, uh, that I'm going to steal right now because I can. There's no copyrights on sermon illustrations. Uh, he has this... <laughs> he's back there. I see him. He's going... <laughs> Anyways, uh, he's got this really good analogy of uh, the jack-in-the-box and how reading the Bible sometimes is like turning the wheel of the jack-in-the-box. That sometimes we just have to put in the time. That to be totally honest and to be totally clear with you that reading the Bible is, is sometimes boring. I mean, if you've read the Bible, you know that... You know, there's some passages that just don't make sense to you. There's passages that are really thick, hard reading. And it just seems like, man, this, I'm not getting much out of this list of names. Who begot somebody else? They got begot somebody else. And it's just, it's just a list of names. I'm not getting much out of that. <laughs> or you're reading the book of Deuteronomy, and it's all these rules and regulations about what to do if you have uh, a hair growing out of a piece of mole in your skin. You're not getting a lot out of that spiritually, right? I mean, let's just be honest. And there's other passages that are meant to be spiritual and they just confuse you. And you're like, man, this is confusing. This is weird. I don't understand it. But to put in that time of reading the Bible is sometimes like playing with that jack-in-the-box toy. And jack-in-the-box toy is like probably the most sick and demented toy ever invented. Uh, I remember playing with it. My grandma had one. And I was a kid. I was probably like five years old playing with this little box. Dun, 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 dun. And you just kind of, you're playing with this little handle, nice little song, and then out comes the jack-in-the-box. In the same way, we read the Bible, and sometimes it just feels like we're just, we're putting in our time of reading the Bible because nothing is popping out to us, and we're reading. Bam! 
<laughs> and it just pops out at you. And you're like, thank you, Jesus, for this word to me. It's, it's alive. And it's awesome. And it surprised me. And it's, I know it's written just to me. And I understand it. And I understand your word. And it's awesome. And you just sit there and you thank God that you read the Bible that day. Because you feel like the message was just to you. So surprising. Is everybody breathing hard? I hope to not scare you too bad. Um, Here's what I want you to think about. And then discuss amongst your your friends at your table or the chairs around you. And we take Sunday school discussion pretty seriously. And I want you to think about this question. And it may just be, you might fall into the, the, you might not have much to say. And that's totally okay. Just maybe listen to the people around you. But I want you to answer the question, what in, in, in your Bible reading, if, you, if you've read the Bible at all or had a morning devotional or a quiet time, or I like to have them in the evening, uh, and read the Bible, what is, a, what is for you the, the, a, a devo that is, is set up for you for uh, having a good devo? That's not a good way of answering. The, the blah, blah, blah. Let me ask you this question. I actually wrote it down. What is your routine for a good Devo. What is your routine for a good Devo? Would you share with the people around you? Like, here's what I do. And, and, and it, what I do may be different from what you do. And that's, that's okay. We might learn a little bit from each other. So just so turn to the people around you and say, you know, what, what do you do for your good Devo? And, if, and I just want to preface it with this. If you're someone that's like, you know what? I, I don't read the Bible that much. When I have a Devo, I'm usually confused. That's okay. You don't have to pretend like you're a super Christian in here. Just be honest. And so maybe you'll do more listening than talking. But would you... Would you convert? Do you understand the question? It's basically, what do you do? How do you have your Devo? Is basically just the question. Ready, get set, converse. Did it, 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 did it,
Uh, let me give you another uh, like sixty. It's probably not long enough, I know, but uh, let me let's just wrap up in the next sixty seconds, if that's humanly possible. Here's what we're gonna do. Uh, if you're uh, if you're someone that's bold enough and uh, courageous enough to to talk to the whole group, and there's like a million people in here, so it's always a little bit embarrassing to talk in front of a big group. But uh, why don't you share? There's there's mics going around, so wait till the mic gets into your hand, and then if someone else is talking and you want to be next, then you get the mic in your hand, so you're ready to talk, and just kind of say what you guys talked about, or you could pick on your buddy and say he has a great devo. Let me tell you all about it because he's too shy to share it with you. Um, you could do that as well. We're okay to embarrass people in here, right? This is most Sundays. We're like a big family, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. Who wants to begin us? I swear I will call on someone. <laughs> Wouldn't that be horrible? Just kidding. I would never do that. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, go ahead. On. Um, I've been reading my Bible in chronological order. Chronological been, order. Yeah. Nice. Which is... Which is Really cool, because, like, I'll be reading the beginning of Genesis, like, first 11 chapters, and then it goes into Job. And I didn't know that that happened in the same time period, or reading about David, and then I read the psalm that he wrote right after what he goes through, and it's just, really it's cool. like, really neat. So you have, like, some insight. list that you have of what to read when? Yeah. That's really cool. Did you find it online, or did you find yeah. it in a book? Yeah, Dan found it online. Sweet. Just, did you hear what she said? She says she, she's reading it chronologically. She's reading it in an order that she probably printed off online. I've seen those as well, where it goes through the entire Bible, and it puts everything, like, so you're reading little chapters here and there in chronological order. Pretty sweet. Excellent. Yes. What a, I think there was a hand over here. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Hello. All right. I like to do it at nighttime, even if it's the last thing I do before I go to bed. It's just like, even if you're so tired, you just want to pass out. It's mm, good. So you do do it at night. Yeah. I'm and then you have good dreams. Absolutely. That's good. That's good. I always watch horror movies right before I go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> just night, kidding. I don't nighttime know. and sometimes on my lunch break at work. Yeah, on your lunch break at work. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's just if you're hungry, you'll just find little times to read the Bible and uh, keep plugging away at it. That's great. That's good. Yeah. It's other hands over here. Yes, Big Bill. Um, Bill. Okay. Um, uh, I like to unload all my junk on God before I, I read the Bible. Like, I'll write in a journal sometimes what I'm feeling, sometimes what I think of him. Sometimes what I think of myself, you know, just be completely raw. And That's then good. after I've gotten all that crap out of my eyes, then I can read what's real and uh, go from there. That's good. Get the crap out. I think, I think that <laughs> it's good. Love it. I love cussing in Sunday school, too. <laughs> 
Yeah, you, there's, I mean, there's lots of different things. Bill, Bill likes to notebook and journal and get the crap out before getting the word of God into him. Apologize if that word's offensive, but I don't know. What? Anybody else? All right. Anybody? I thought you don't have the mic. Okay, so we're good. All right, so there's lots of different ways that we have to read the Bible. Here's, here's what I would do. If, here, I'm just going to tell you uh, very specifically kind of what I do. Is that okay? And, uh, and you may find you may want to do it just like this, or you may want to do it differently. You may want to journal before or after. You may want to do things a little differently, and that's perfectly okay. I'm just sharing you with my way of how I, and this is more, uh, more of a, I do kind of two things. I, sometimes I just read. I read every day with my wife, Erica, and we just kind of read devotionally. We just kind of uh, go, through, go through either a book or we're reading Psalms or um, whatever. We just kind of read it to read it kind of as a devo. But then when I'm reading it to study it, this is how I do it. So this is more of a, more of a, a contemplative, looking at it, reading, studying the Bible. And here's what I'll do. So the book I've been telling you that is so great to start out with um, is the book of John, the Gospel of John. And, and what I do before I, I get into studying the Bible is I do something before I read the Bible as well. I pray. And so if you're, if you're taking notes on how I do it, which, which it may be helpful for you, this would be under look at it or read it. I guess either way, I'm confused about where I'm at and where I'm going. But uh, you're not, so you're fine. Um, <laughs> I always pray before I read or study the Bible. In fact, a friend of mine, uh, on, his, on the cover of his Bible along the side, wrote, wrote pray first. And so I, I put that on my Bible as well. That before I read it or I study it or I get into it, I say, God, would you show me something today? That this is a spiritual book. That this is a book of truth. It's not a novel. It's not like a, a textbook. It's different than any other book the world has ever seen. And so, God, would you inspire, would you let these words be an inspiration to me? Would you speak to me spiritually about the words on this page and, and help me understand them. So I'll pray first. So that's number one. I pray first. And then I'll look at if I'm if I'm about to read the book of John, I'll want to understand, okay, wh- when was this book written? What kind of a book is it? What's going on here? And, and most Bibles, especially study Bibles, will have a lot, but most Bibles have an introduction. And I always, even if it's, I, I almost always read an introduction and then there's an outline. And I'll almost always read the introduction and outline of any book that I read. Let's say I'm taking a class or a history class and I'm reading a textbook. I will go through, I'll read the introduction. That's how I read. And I'll read the whole outline and I'll just kind of look at the outline and say, okay, this is where the author is. This is where the author is going. This is how it's all going to fit together and make sense. And so the Bible is kind of like that too. If you have the bigger picture in mind of where this author is going... It'll make a lot more sense. And you quickly begin to realize that the author of this, of this book is a guy named John. How cool, because the book's name is John. <laughs> and you find out by reading about the author that he was a fisherman. You're like, oh, sweet, he was a fisherman. Just like me, he was probably a fly fisherman. Um, <laughs> you should laugh, because they... Anyways, so he was a fly fisherman, and, uh, and he, he spent his whole life fishing, so he wasn't that educated of a person. He's a very simple person. He uh, wasn't like a Greek theologian scholar or something like that. He was just a plain person, an ordinary person. He was a fisherman. He was a disciple right alongside of Jesus. So he was a firsthand account of what was, what was going on, and he writes very simply. In fact, most theologians will tell you that the book of John, if, if you're getting ever get into the Greek 
uh, they'll tell you that the Greek is the most simple Greek in all of the New Testament, that it was legitimately written probably by a person that wasn't extremely highly educated, probably a fisherman, and probably a firsthand eyewitness account of Jesus named John, a disciple. And he wrote this book very simply, and it is a gospel and so what you'll also find is in the introduction is you'll find, oh, what kind of writing is it? Is it poetry? Is it like the book of Revelation that's apocalyptic poetry? Or is it in the Old Testament like a law? Or is it like some of the other books in the New Testament? It's a letter from one person to the other. It's, it's none of those. It's, it's its own kind of writing. It's a gospel, which in the Greek means, do you know? Good news. It's spreading the good news. So it's the story of Jesus informing the reader of the good news of how to be saved. In fact, in the introduction, it says that the purpose of this book is written in the book. And so why don't you take a second and turn to the book of John, chapter 20, chapter 20 uh, verse... i to find it. Excuse me. Yeah, verse 20, chapter 20, verse 30. It's at the very end. He ends with the purpose of this letter. Or not letter, the purpose of the gospel. So it's John chapter 20, verse 30, and it says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his, of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So why was the book of John written? So you might believe in the name of Jesus and have salvation. So that's why it was written. That's the purpose of the author when he wrote it. John, the fisherman, the disciple of Jesus. That's his whole purpose. And so going into the book of John, knowing some of that stuff is pretty important. You know that this is a gospel. This is going to be about Jesus. This is a story, and its, its main purpose is to instruct you about salvation. And so knowing that, I think it's pretty important. It makes the reading a lot easier. And so then you start reading. And, and what I like to do is have a couple highlighters and pens right on me. And so, because I like to write right in my Bible. I think that's, it's the way I learn the best. It's, and I'll do the same thing, whether it's a textbook or a notebook or a, uh, whatever. I'll, I'll highlight things and underline things and write in the margins. And when I first started reading the Bible, I have this system of highlighting all things that I find really interesting in blue and highlighting like devotional, like inspirational things in yellow. So I could go back and look at some of the things in yellow and be like, yeah, that, that really touched me that day when I read that. And I could go back and reread it and, it's, and find them instantly because I've personally highlighted them in yellow. Or I'll find things in blue and it's like, oh, that was just so interesting. I wonder, I wonder why he said that or that's just cool. It's in blue. And so I thought it was once cool and so it probably still is cool to me. And so that's my, that's my system. Two highlighters, a pen, and I'll usually have a notebook as well to write down personal things. And I'll just begin to read it. And if you're looking at John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. And it's, it begins to talk about the Word. And what is the Word? And if this is your first time reading the Bible and you're looking at this and you're saying, The Word, what's the Word? And you're already confused, that's okay. It is. It's a spiritual book. It's spiritual things. It's sometimes very confusing, very different language than a novel or a textbook. It's very different than you may talk sometimes, especially if you're reading a King James with the theys and the thous. And, but that's okay. 
And so you're reading it, and you're like, what is the word? And, and I would always suggest that a study Bible is a, a really good Bible to have, a life application Bible or a NIV study Bible is this particular Bible. And you could look in the notes and just say, okay, what's this deal with the word? What's the word? And you find out that, oh, the word is this Greek word, logos. And that the Greeks and the Jews both had very special understandings, very important understandings of what the Logos was, that it was all knowledge and all just wisdom and knowledge. And that, that and so you're reading along and you say, okay, the Word was with God and the Word was God. This all-consuming knowledge was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through Him all things were made. And then it goes on to say that the Word was made flesh. And so you, if you're just reading it, and you're thinking about it, you should be thinking to yourself, what is the Word? Who is the Word? What is, who, who is this Word? And then it says that John the Baptist talks about the Word. And they ask John the Baptist. This is all chapter 1 still. This is like verse 19. And they ask John, are you the one? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? He says, no. He's come to give testimony to this Word. And you should, this whole time, still be thinking, who is this Word? And then finally... You get to verse 29. John chapter 1, verse 29. It says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant. And you just begin to realize that, wow, John, the author of this book, the disciple of Jesus, is setting up this perfect introduction of who Jesus is, that he's the Word. And you finally get to it and you're like, Wow, Jesus is this word. And if, you've, if you're really just legitimately reading it, you'll see things like that. And you're like, wow, this author set aside time to, to introduce Jesus as the word. And even though he was a, just a simple, silly, maybe very you know, uneducated fisherman, he just lays out this gospel in, in a way that's just amazing. That you're, you're supposed to ask, who's the word? What's the word? Who is this word that has come down? And finally you get to it. The word is Jesus. And this whole book, the Gospel of John, is about the word. God himself, who was with God and is God. How he came down and how he was with God in the beginning. And, I, and that's, that's how I'll read it. I'll read it just honestly and i'll read it and have questions in my mind and so the first time i read it i I wrote down who is the word what's the word i just just didn't get it the first time i read the book of john and then and then i got it i was like oh jesus he's talking about jesus and things that will help you are these study notes at the bottom uh some of you have have right in between there'll be uh cross references how many of you have used the cross references before those are a great study tool because it'll it'll help you understand things like like uh John 1-2 says it's cross-referenced with Genesis 1-1 because it says this. John 1-2 says he was with God in the beginning. Have you heard that phrase before? In the beginning. Yeah, it's in Genesis 1-1. And so it's cross-referenced. And you must, and it's okay to begin to think to yourself, wow, that John, a, a Jewish guy, probably read the book of Genesis, probably memorized, honestly. A, ancient Jewish culture was to memorize books of the Bible. He may have had the book of Genesis memorized. And so he's using that same language in the beginning to bring to the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And you begin to see things like that and you begin to mine it for gold. And so I, I, I just demonstrated how I would read 
to get you excited about the, the gold that's in the Bible and how it, it doesn't come easily sometimes, how it, sometimes it's digging and reading and cross-referencing and finding things out in order to mine that gold. And then once you find it, it's beautiful. It's our, it's, the Bible is our greatest tool for understanding the truths of God. Let me close with this story about, uh, have you heard of Frederick Nietzsche? If you're, if you're really smart, you say Nietzsche. <laughs> you're kind of like that. Like Nietzsche. That's what I do because I'm really smart. <laughs> Just kidding. This guy lived in the 1800s. Uh, you've probably, if you've taken any philosophy classes, you may have heard of Frederick Nietzsche. He was the son of a minister. Uh, both grandparents, uh, both granddads on each side were both ministers. So ministers all down his family line. He was raised in a Christian home. But at some point he developed his own philosophies and he then became famous for as a philosopher and he became famous as a philosopher for um a nihilistic way of looking at the universe and nihilism is is basically that nothing matters that life and existence there is no meaning in life and a lot of the he, he was a german philosopher and a lot of the nazi idealism came from they took right from nietzsche some of his ideas about how life is meaningless he called himself an immoralist, saying that there is no morality, that there is no objective truth, that existence is meaningless. Sounds like a happy guy, huh? Very, very pessimistic about life, very sad about life, that nothing has meaning. And he wrote about it, and he's probably a famous philosopher that you will study someday in, in a philosophy class, or maybe you already have. But at the end of his life, he died in the year 1900 as a 55-year-old man, the, the end of his life, uh, the, the last actually 14 years of his life, he lived in an, an insane asylum because he went insane. And uh, there's no you know, direct evidence for this, but a lot of people think that you know, if, you're, if you're that pessimistic about life and how everything is meaningless and there is no morality and everything is just totally meaningless, then th- those kind of philosophies could eventually drive you insane, don't you think? Yeah. And so he spent the last 14 of his years of his life insane at a, at a mental institution, spending long times just in a chair looking outside a window or staring at something in long, long, long periods of total silence. And then the story is, is that he would break out of those silences and just start quoting scripture, scripture that he had memorized as a little boy growing up. And I just think... You know, for a man that, that, and I don't want to over-spiritualize, you know, his life or, you know, who he was or, you know, get, get too into it. But, you know, here's the man that had this total nihilistic thought about life, that everything is meaningless. There is no morality. There is no God. He had the, the he kind of didn't really coin the phrase, but made it really popular, the phrase, God is dead. Maybe you've heard that before in, in philosophy class. In German, it's, Gott ist tot. Kind of rhymes. Kind of cute, but not really. Because uh, he would say that in his poem of a madman, he said that God is dead. We killed him. All the churches and sepulchers are for a God who died. That churches are tombs for a dead God. And we worship a dead God because we've killed him. And we don't need him because everything is meaningless. And everything is pointless. And it's a very pessimistic form of life. So here's this man driven insane, potentially by his own nihilistic, meaningless philosophies and ideals. And yet, as he's insane, as he's quiet, he would break out of these silences. And the only thing he would say would be scripture that was internalized into him as a little boy. And I just think there is power 
in Scripture. There is power in the truth that God loves us. There's power in memorizing it. There's power in reading it. Just like the passage we started off with today, that Scripture will make us wise. And, and I, I just believe that, that we as the mill are going to model this. We as the mill Sunday school are going to model reading our Bible. And, and that's the point of those Bible checklists. So, so grab some on the way out and grab some for your friends and, and become wise in reading the Bible. Sound good? Let's pray. Jesus, we, we worship you, God. We thank you for your Bible. We understand that it is your words to us that we can become wise by reading it. God, would you give every single one of us in here a, a blessing that, that is upon us that we might read the Bible, be hungry for it, understand it, and internalize it into our souls. That will, people will know us as the Mill Sunday School by the group of people that know the Bible, that read the Bible, that are hungry for more of the Bible. And so, God, we praise you. We want to be wise in your ways. We want to be wise in reading the Bible. So, God, we thank you. We praise you. And we love you. And everybody said...